I started back about five weeks ago a sermon series called Why in the World Are We Here? And anticipate finishing that up next week, next Sunday, uh, and then have two additional messages before Easter that I feel the Lord would, would have for us. And so I, I've been primarily focusing uh, my five main themes in the book of Acts. Last week, of course, I jumped to 1 Peter because the passage in Acts that I would have chosen, and I did reference it, I would, I I preached from that in October, and so I chose a different text. But I'm back in the book of Acts. I'm going to be preaching today from Acts chapter 16, verses 22 through 30. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and hastened or fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise. To God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so just for a little bit today, I want to preach on this subject. Why in the world are we here? One reason is that we are here to magnify God's greatness, to magnify God's greatness. And if you believe he is a great God, would you give him a hand clap of praise as you're seated today? There are a number of instruments that people use to make things appear larger or to enable us to see things that you cannot see with the naked eye. Telescopes are used not just for looking into the outer regions of space or looking into uh, things, uh, stars and planets and various things, but they're used on ships and and in various ways throughout Society, you look at a use a telescope in order to see things that are a great distance off. People use binoculars when they are hunting and they're looking for for animals and they're they're trying to find them, or they use a scope when they're actually in the process of getting ready to shoot and it magnifies and, and makes what is far away look bigger and makes it clearer and makes you able to see it. A microscope is used for super tiny objects that you can't see with the naked eye and you have them in labs and various things and things that you wouldn't even know are there, little germs and bacteria, things that are all around you. You can't see them unless you have a microscope or you have something that will take and make what is there appear larger. Magnifying glasses, when you get a little older and you can't see, you have to have a magnifying glass to read and to to see things. You're you're not really changing what is there. You're just enabling yourself to see it larger and to see it bigger. 
Psalm 34, 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. There is a, a command. There is a principle of magnifying God. The reality is, though, is that magnifying God does not make Him any bigger. It doesn't make Him any grander. It doesn't make Him uh, any better than He already was. But it just enables us to see Him more clearly. It enables us to see Him in a greater and in a more grand way. And in fact, the word magnify there in the Hebrew means to, to make great in size, in scale, and importance. And so when the psalmist says, oh, magnify the Lord with me, it's not making him bigger in size or scale, but it is making him greater in importance to the person that is offering the praise to God. But the person who is talking about how good God is and how great God is, it makes God appear to them to be greater and to be grander. It is true that we see through a glass darkly and we can't see clearly how great God is. But when we magnify Him, we see Him a little better. We see Him a little more clearly. The Bible says of David that he was a praiser. He was a worshiper. That he was one who praised God always. In fact, David, when you think of praise, David is the person that you primarily think of in the Bible. He's the one who is dancing before the Ark of the Covenant as it's being brought back into Jerusalem. He is praising God. He's worshiping God. He is the one who wrote most of the Psalms, which are songs of praise to God for the most part. But he, he is considered a praiser. And maybe it's, it's not a coincidence that the one who is considered the praiser in the Bible is also the one who is a man after God's own heart. There may be something about praise when you, when you lift him up and you exalt him and you glorify him and you magnify him. It makes you want to serve him. It makes you want to follow him. You don't want to serve or follow somebody you don't think's all that, that awesome. If you think they're kind of pitiful, guess what? In our society, you don't vote for them. But in those societies back then, if you didn't think they were, they were all that and then some, you're not going to follow them. But when you, when you say, God, you're great, and God, you're awesome, and God, you're wonderful, that's somebody you might want to follow. That's a God that you might want to serve. Paul is in Asia. He is, he's, well, he's actually wanting to go into Asia. As I set up our text, he, he gets ready to go into Asia, but the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord stopped him and would not allow him to go into Asia. As you may know, Paul is on, he's on his missionary journeys. Acts chapter 13, he's called by God to go out on these missionary journeys. Now he and Silas, they're trying to go into Asia, but the Spirit of God stops them and doesn't let them go. The Spirit keeps telling him, no, don't go into Asia. And in the middle of that being stopped by the Spirit, he receives a vision. And in this vision, a man of Macedonia, Macedonia is the, the big region that is there. Philippi is the, the kind of the capital city or the main city of the region of Macedonia. And so a man from Macedonia appears to Paul in a vision. He says, hey, come and help us. We need you. Come and tell us about Jesus, in essence, is what he is saying in this vision. So, so Paul and Silas, they go into Macedonia and they find themselves in Philippi. It's the chief city. It's the major city in the, the region of Macedonia. And, and, and as they are ministering and preaching the gospel, there is a girl 
that comes on the scene. She is a demon-possessed girl. She has people that are in charge of her. They, they're in charge of, of kind of overseeing her. They're using her for money because she's got these demons in her, and she can tell people things that are going on in their lives. And, and now we, we don't talk a lot about demons today. But in the Bible, demons are everywhere, just like angels are everywhere. So this demon-possessed girl, she has demons that are, that are living in her, and they know what's going on in other places. They can communicate. And so her handlers are using this demon-possessed girl to make money. Not unlike soothsayers or, or people that are looking in the crystal ball. I mean, there, there's nobody has power to do that. There's demonic forces behind that, that if they tell you anything and they can read your palm... If any of that's actually happening, and they're not just making up stuff, there are demons behind that type of thing. It is, it is an ungodly practice, but they're making money with this girl being able to tell people what's going on in their lives or tell people the future because the demons are bringing to pass some of what they're saying. This girl sees Paul and Silas, and so she comes and, and she begins to talk to them about, and she's following them everywhere they're going, and she's actually telling the truth about them being with the great power of God. But Paul finally gets tired of it. He turns around, he casts out the demons. And when he does, the people who are in control of this girl realize now they can't make any money, and so they get mad about it. And so they stir up a riot. They stir up, ish, uh, a, a make a big scene, and ultimately... Paul and Silas are cast into prison. And it is there where our text picks up. And in the middle of this prison, at midnight, the Bible says, they prayed and sang praises. And so I, I want to use this text to bring to you four principles about praise and, and magnifying God's greatness. Four truths about what we should understand about praise from this text. The first thing, this is that our praise is to be observable our praise is to be observable it is possible for you to praise God in secret that's entirely true and in fact the Bible tells us to fast in secret don't tell everybody what you're doing in fact the Bible also tells us to pray in secret but the Bible never tells us to praise in secret and in a corporate setting, we call this a worship service, which means that we're coming to worship God together. We're coming to praise and to magnify God together. And if you're doing it together, guess what? It can't be in secret. Praise is by definition, it is action and it is sound. That it has motions that accompany it. It has sounds that accompany it. It is not a silent practice. Now, if you're in the middle of a restaurant, I'm not encouraging you just to get up and just start speaking out loud about all God's praises. I'm not telling you to do that. There is a, a part of, of praise that you, you should have wisdom in what you do, and you don't want to get kicked out. But when you're in a worship service, it is about action, and it is about sound. The Bible does speak of, of meditation. It is about thinking on the Word of God, and that's something you do internally. It's not vocal. It's not action. But praise is different than that. I, I, I've given these to you before. I'm going to give you nine Hebrew words for praise. I gave these to you a few months ago. 
but like me, you probably forgot what they were. I had to look them up again to see which, what the words were. So I'm going to run through these real quick for you. But understand that praise is observable. The first word is this. It is the word halal, which means to praise, to celebrate, to boast, or to rave. It's not a quiet, let me tell you how awesome God is. No, it is a boasting, it is a raving, it is a loud, let me tell you how awesome God is. And, and you, you praise God verbally and you praise Him loudly and you celebrate what God is and what He has done. Now, let me, let me just pause here. I said a week or two ago that background music makes everything more spiritual. Our, our next door neighbors... Never have things on Sunday, but today they decided to give us background music. They must be getting ready for some kind of recital. I don't know. I'm not sure that background music that you hear next door is going to make it more spiritual. So maybe we'll get the piano player up here and make, give us some, uh, some background music that will make it spiritual. We'll see. We'll see how, how loud they get next door. But maybe if we're praising God, then we won't hear them. That if we're boasting loudly and raving loudly about how good and awesome God is, then, then we will not have to worry about what's going on around us. So the word halal is to praise, to celebrate, to boast, to rave. Second word is yada. It means to, to point with the hand. Whenever you're excited... You point, ah, or lift your hands, or however you do that, various things. But you see people when they're speaking, and they're making emphasis, they're pointing. God is great. God is awesome. It's just something that you do. Say, God, you're awesome. God, you're great. It's to point with the hand. The word tada means to give a sacrifice of praise. The word shabak is to pronounce happy things with a loud voice about God. The word barak is to kneel in the presence of God and, and to kneel as a sign of submission to God. The word takah, to, to clap your hands, and, and we have you do that, but it, because it's praise to God, it's saying, God, you're awesome. When you're celebrating something, what do you do? You clap your hands. When the chiefs score, what do you do? You clap your hands and you lift your hands. You do all kind of praise symbols. And what I would tell you is we serve a God who is greater than anything else, who is worthy of a hand clap of applause, who is worthy of loud boasting and celebrating, who's worthy of lifted hands and a loud voice. I'm not going to do it today. I'm not going to demonstrate this one. I'm recovering from a, a sprained ankle. But McCall means to twist or to leap, to dance, to twirl. And sometimes when people are celebrating God and they're praising God and they're in the spirit, they begin to dance or begin to twirl, do something that is unusual. It's what David did whenever he was coming back with the Ark of the Covenant. Every six paces, he would, he would do a little dance and maybe I will just kind of do a little twirl. But he was doing that in the presence of God to celebrate who God is and what he had done. Tehillah, it is to sing a new song. I probably mentioned this when I, I used these words a few months ago, but I just randomly, sometimes when I'm, when I'm praying and then I begin to praise, I just make up words to song. Come up with my own tune. It's just out of the heart. God, you're awesome. God, you're great. And, and you kind of just come up with a little melody and you begin to sing a new song. It's just bubbling out of your heart. 
It's what you do when you're praising God. Or, or the word zamar, the last one, it means to play an instrument. It's what we were doing. We were singing. We were playing. We were clapping. We were lifting our hands. Praise is observable. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. They're in prison. They're not over there chained to the wall and they're not just singing a little quiet song to the Lord. They're not not just praying a little quiet prayer. But the prisoners were listening to them pray and sing hymns of praise to God. Their praise was observable. And I would tell you that when we gather together, especially in a church service, when we've come to worship Him, it should be observable. That if I'm, even if I can't sing, I'm going to join in because it's not about me. It's not about whether people think I can sing. It's about making a joyful noise unto the Lord. That I open my, vo- my mouth and, and I sing about how great God is. And, and, I, and I sing the songs that I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. I, I'm going to open my, my mouth and, and project My praise to Him. He knows what I'm thinking. But He didn't ask me to think about Him. That's meditation. But we're talking about praising Him. That's action. And that's volume. It doesn't mean you have to scream. It doesn't mean you have to yell it. But it does have to be able to be heard. He knows knows that He can hear the smallest sound. But I'm going to get to this point later. But others need what you're doing. Others need your praise. It should be observable. Prisoners were listening to them in the middle of a prison. They've been beaten. And they're still singing and praising God. The second thing is this, that our praise brings God's deliverance and His power. And suddenly, there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. That in the middle of their singing hymns of praise to God, God showed up. That God came into the prison where they were and a great earthquake takes place and and all the foundations of the prison were shaken. The Bible tells us that their chains were unloosed in the next part of that verse and, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But I would tell you that things happen when we praise God. All you have to do is look in the Bible and you can see that when people praise God, He shows up and miracles happen. Things happen. God is at work when people praise Him. I used this quote over a year ago, but it says that praise isn't like the caboose that just follows what happens, but it's more like the engine of a train that makes things happen. We don't praise as a follow-up to what's going on. Things happen when we praise God. That when we praise Him, things begin to happen. When we, move, when we begin to praise, the focus moves from ourselves and it begins to focus on God. Our problems pale in comparison to who God is and what He can do when we praise Him. The Bible says, I will look to the hills from whence come my help. My help cometh from the Lord. That when we focus on God, 
there's a reason to praise. And in the middle of a prison, there's still a reason to praise God. And their praise brought God's deliverance and brought God's power to work. When we praise, we are brought into God's presence. When we praise Him, His presence comes. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of His people. Other translations would take that and would say that God is enthroned on the praises of His people. Look at your neighbor and say, God is enthroned when I praise. That when we praise God, He is enthroned. What does that mean? Who sits on a throne? King sits on the throne. And that when we praise God, we're building Him a throne. Because what we're doing is we are proclaiming Him to be King. We're proclaiming Him to be great. We're proclaiming Him to be awesome. We're proclaiming Him to be in charge of everything. We're proclaiming Him to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is enthroned on our praise. So let me ask you, what size throne are you building for God? Not just in this room when you come on a Sunday morning, but throughout your life, what kind of throne are you building? If He inhabits or is enthroned on your praise, are you giving Him anything to sit on? If I'd been feeling well, maybe I'd have brought a lot of objects we could have brought some different size thrones up here and different size chairs up here on the platform. But just, just think with me and, and, and envision if He is enthroned on our praise. Do we have a little step stool? Or maybe we don't have anything and we're like, God, hey, come and sit here. And we, we don't have any praise, but we want Him to show up and it's just, it's just four. Or maybe we just have a and it's like these toddler chairs we have. You know, they're, they're about 10 inches tall. And if you're two, man, that's a perfect height. But if we're saying He's enthroned on our praise, that means that the more we praise Him, the bigger the throne that we're building Him. The more that we lift Him up and we magnify His greatness, the bigger the throne that He is sitting on. Where ultimately it is this, that the heaven is His throne and the earth is His footstool. You can't get any bigger than that. That's the way our praise should be. It's that we should praise Him in such a way that He has a big place to sit in our life. He is enthroned on our praise. He is reasserted as the King in our lives when we praise Him. We sang about joy earlier. Psalm 1611 says this, In His presence there is fullness of joy. That when we praise God and He shows up and He comes into our situation, there's joy, there's peace, there's whatever we need in the middle of that because His presence and His power and His deliverance shows up when we praise Him. Thirdly, our, our praise impacts others. I'll reread verse 26 from the beginning. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and every 
one's chains were unfastened. The prisoners, besides Paul and Silas, they're just listening to Paul and Silas' praise. They're not praising God. They don't even know God. The gospel has just come to Philippi. Paul and Silas are now just now being in prison for preaching the gospel in Philippi. These people don't know Jesus. They, they wouldn't know anything about him except they hear Paul and Silas praying and singing praise to the Lord. But when God shows up, his presence and power, when it shows up, God doesn't just release Paul and Silas. Everyone's chains were unfastened. Every door was open. And what I would tell you is this, is that when you praise God and God shows up, other people are impacted by your praise. Other people are touched by your praise because God is now in the room and God is now in the situation. And when you praise God, somebody else who maybe is going through a difficulty and and they can't muster up the energy or the strength to praise him, but your praise brings God's presence and power. And now their situation that looks hopeless, it begins to look a little bit better because God is in the room. Others experience God's presence when we praise. Others find freedom when we praise. I, I, I've been in church all my life. I've been Pentecostal all my life. But I, I'll tell you, there, there have been many times where I went to church. I don't feel anything. Growing up, I mean, it was three times a week. It's just what you did twice on Sunday every Wednesday. And back when I was a teenager, we'd have real revivals. If you've been around, you know, when you have a real revival, it's like seven nights a week, multiple weeks, and you're lucky you get one night off. I've been in 11-week revivals. There's only about half of them getting one night off, being at church every night. And when you're a teenager, you just don't want to be at church that much. And life has changed and we're busy. We're not any busier now than we were. We just probably think we're busier or maybe church is less important. You try to do that now, man, nobody's showing up. Hard enough to get people on Sunday. You try Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You just, you're just wasting your time. But there have been plenty of times, and whether it was a revival or whether it was just three times a week, that I didn't really want to be there, but going to church is what you did. You can sit there and... They're singing, and you're going, yeah, okay, and you're just kind of clap along with them and sing with them. Somebody else was serious about their praise. Somebody else, they, they were really trying to magnify God. They weren't going through the motions, and because they were magnifying God, he would show up in the room, and, and, and me, who not wanting to be there, began to feel God's presence and power because somebody else is praying and somebody else is inviting him and somebody else is building him a throne and he shows up and it rubs off on you. You begin to feel his presence and you begin to feel his spirit in the room and then you begin to magnify God for yourself. That praise should impact others when we do it unto him. Others are going to be impacted by our praise. And I would tell you, you never know what people are going through. 
You never know when people are going through difficult circumstances and they they just finding it difficult. They're like the Jews who are in Babylon. It says, how shall we sing the songs of Zion in a strange land? And they, they hung their harps on the willows. Sometimes when people are going through difficulty, they find it really hard to praise God. But when you praise Him, it brings God's presence. And now they can begin to praise Him. It brings deliverance. It brings freedom. It pushes their, their troubles to the background. And they begin to focus on God because of who He is. Our praise impacts others. And lastly, our praise is evangelistic. Verse 27, when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself, we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? When they didn't flee the prison, when they didn't run out of the prison, when their bands were loose and the doors were open, he realizes something different is going on here. He realizes there's something unique about this. Anybody else would take off. You imagine being locked up in prison and the doors just opened and you'd be like, nah, I think I'll stay here. That's not going to happen except in Philippi. Because it wasn't about getting them out of jail. Their praise wasn't a get out of jail free card. Their praise was about something bigger than that. Their praise was about God. They're they're not praising just to come out of their situation, but they're praising and magnifying God's greatness because God is worthy even in prison. And God shows up because He has a different and a bigger agenda than just getting them out. The text doesn't tell us how long from the earthquake and the band's being loosed and until the jailer shows up. It's just that when he awakens, he sees the doors are open. Maybe the earthquake woke him up. Maybe the earthquake was just isolated to their little, their little part of the prison. I don't really know. Maybe it's 30 seconds until he sees this and shows up. Maybe it's three hours. But he expects them to be gone. And Paul says, we are still here. And he recognizes God is at work. And his response to that is, what must I do to be saved? Our praise is evangelistic. That when we praise God and others encounter his presence and his power, and others encounter who he is, and others see what he can do, There is something in them that says, what do I need to do to be serving this God that you are serving? What is it that I need to do to encounter this God? Have a threefold statement on our connect cards. 
It's on the bottom of our connect group sheets. Encounter, experience, and engage. Encounter God's presence. That when people show up in this room and when they show up where you are, they should encounter His presence. Not just people that already know Him. Not just people that already believe everything the Bible says. Not just people that believe the new birth like Peter preached and Jesus taught. Not not just those people, but everybody who shows up should encounter His presence. They should encounter His Spirit. But that only happens when we build a throne of praise for God to sit on and for Him to show up. I'll tell you as I, we'll go ahead and have the musicians come, but, but as, as we were getting ready to launch the church, I had a meeting with a couple of marketing people and they were preachers of a somewhat different faith. And they, one of them kept pushing me and asking the question, what is different about what you're doing? And it's clear that Our obedience to the gospel is different. That our obedience to the new birth message is different. But but beyond that, as I thought through it, what should be different is not just what we say. But what should be different is what people feel and what people experience when they show up and come into a worship service. I visited all kinds of churches, variety of different denominations, beliefs, and, uh, and I'm gonna be honest with you. I probably have said this before, but I would walk in, and most people—they're just going through the motions most people it's one particular church it may have been one of the first ones I went in it was a 9 o'clock service they're all standing because they were, they were told to stand and not a single person singing the band's just up there just doing their thing nobody being impacted by the presence and power of God, no encountering His Spirit. And church after church that I went to was very similar. I would just tell you, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That when you come to church, you should encounter His presence. You should encounter His Spirit. And sometimes it's what's done on the platform that maybe ushers in His presence and power, but many times it's what's done in the pew that 
brings his presence and his power. And if I, if I could just encourage you, if you can't sing, sing anyway. If you don't know it, the song, and we sing a lot of songs that maybe are new to you, the words are on the screen, just jump in and do the best you can, because it really doesn't matter whether you get it just right. It doesn't matter whether you're just right and on key and you've got the right time down only thing that matters is are you singing it to him that if you sing it to him that's praise if you sing it to me that's not praise it's about him and when you sing about his goodness and when you clap your hands not just because i say so but when you clap your hands, god you're awesome and god you're great and you lift your hands not just because somebody on the platform tells you to, but because you just want to say, Lord, I love you. And Lord, I'm surrendered to you. That His presence and His power shows up. And not only will you be impacted, but others will be impacted. And people who come who don't know Jesus in the fullness of His salvation will be able to experience His salvation. Revelation 5 tells us that there are thousands and thousands worshiping around the throne, praising God, saying, worthy is the Lamb. The angels are there, the the elders are there, and a great multitude of people. Some translations say myriad and myriads and thousands and thousands. James, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. An innumerable number of people around the throne worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I've heard it said most of my life, I've said it, that I sure hope John, when he had that vision of heaven and those worshiping around the throne, that he saw me worshiping around the throne. I'm confident in my salvation today, so I'm pretty sure that he saw me. But I would tell you that in order to be there on that day which is still to come, In order to be praising Him on that day which is still to come, you have to be in relationship with Him on this day. You have to experience His salvation. You have to, as the Bible says, obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just say, oh, I believe that's true. You obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Two places in Peter 1, woe to them who obey not the gospel. He doesn't say woe to them who don't believe the facts of the gospel, but he says woe to them who obey not the gospel. And the gospel is this, it is simply the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he lived the perfect sinless life that you and I couldn't live. And he went to the cross to die the death that you and I don't want to die. 
that he was buried, but he rose again the third day. And, and when we follow him in that path, and we follow him in obedience to the gospel through repentance and water baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we obey the gospel, then John will have seen us. Back in AD 95, he will have seen us back then in that day that is still to come. Nobody knows fully what heaven will be like. But we know this. There is no question that we will be praising God in heaven. There is no question. So what I would tell you is we need to get as much practice in down here so that we're ready to praise Him over there. Would you stand together? And would you lift your hands however you want to praise Him, whether you want to clap your hands, whether you want to shout out loud, whatever you want to do, would you just offer the Lord some praise right now? Jesus, we love You. Jesus, we magnify You. We glorify You, Lord. Yes, Jesus, we worship and adore You today. God, there's nobody like You, Jesus. There's nobody like you, Jesus. There's nobody like you, Jesus. God, we want to enthrone you on our praise today. We want to enthrone you on our praise today. God, we want to enthrone you upon our praise. We want your presence and your power to show up, Lord, in this place. We want your presence and power to be at work in this place today. And every time we gather together, we give you glory and honor and praise, Jesus. We give you glory and honor and praise, Here Jesus. I cry, be lifted high in this place. Yes, Lord. Hear our praise today. Hear our praise Lord, today. we want you. No one else will do in this place. Chains are broken, eyes are open, miracles are in this place. Hearts are mended, grace extended, miracles are in can happen yeah, a miracle can happen a miracle can happen in this place come on would you give me praise a miracle can happen yeah, a miracle can happen a miracle can happen in this place with Jesus it will happen happen with Jesus it will happen in this place with Jesus it will happen with Jesus it will happen with Jesus it will happen in this place chains are 
encounter him today beyond the normal just beyond what we normally experience he's here today would you just come forward and begin to praise him as they continue to sing well, would you do that as a sign of the Lord oh miracles can happen in this place a miracle can happen yeah, a miracle a miracle can happen in this place. With Jesus, it will happen. With Jesus, it will happen. With Jesus, it will happen in this place. Chains are broken. Eyes are Oh 
shows up. The supernatural shows up when we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for being with us today. Lord, I pray that every heart and life would be touched by your power today. But that no matter what's going on in their lives, that they would sense and feel your presence. Desire to be closer to you, to know you the power of your resurrection fellowship of your suffering most of all Lord they would just know you as the God who is over all who is in all be with us today I pray be with us the remainder of this week let your presence and power be evident in everything that we do we thank you Lord and we give you praise Everybody said amen. God bless you so much. Thank you for being here. You're a guest with us today. Thank you. We would love to connect with you, get to know you better. If you would, greet five or six people doing all the expected precautions. precautions. And uh, thank you so much. See you next week. God bless you. <laughs>